You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Have you forgotten? Or maybe you never knew. This morning from several different places in the New Testament, I'm going to remind all of us about our great inheritance, something that's already been made available to us through Christ Jesus. And, of course, all of this um, centers on the epistle um, of First John. But you can call this morning reminders. We need to be reminded. And so why don't we begin by reading First uh, John 2, uh, 12 through 14. You want to read that with me? Oh, okay. (laughs) I thought I had been transported to a very quiet place. I heard a preacher say one time, if you want to get amen all the time, tell people what they already know. But if you want the whole place to be quiet, tell them something they're thinking about. So might be quiet in here this morning. I'm not sure. But uh, 1 John 2 verse 12 I do what? Remind you, dear children, your sins have been permanently removed because of the power of his name. I remind you, fathers and mothers, you have a relationship with the one who has existed from the beginning. And I remind you, young people, you have defeated the evil one. I write these things to you, dear children, because you truly have a relationship with the Father. I write these things, fathers and mothers, because you have had a true relationship with him who was from the beginning. And I write these things, young people, because you're strong. The word of God is treasured in your hearts, and you have defeated the evil one. So there's a lot in there. But the uh, Apostle John seems to be identifying three different age groups, or it may actually be three different levels of maturity as a believer. I think both of those are worth worth thinking about. But three times, what does John say? He says two things three times. I remind you, I remind you, I remind you. And three times he says... I write these things to you. I write these things to you. I write these things to you. So six times in three verses, John is emphasizing the need to be reminded or the need to remember. Um, And we're going to follow this concept here um, a little bit. And so John identifies three levels of spiritual development or maturity, but I think also The wording he uses like, um, dear children, they're children who are still being trained, Um, fathers and mothers, that's obvious, and young people, all these are the Passion Translation I've been reading, young people would be people in between um, very young and 40. That still doesn't include me. And so... 
I don't want to just say this is spiritual maturity. You could be a 40-year-old child. But I think he was actually speaking to both categories. Literal little children could have a legitimate faith that he was addressing here. Um, so, three different levels, three different areas of maturity, either spiritual or just basic human development. But that's good news because it tells us we can grow. And it tells us everybody's not at the same level. And it tells us that if you're no more mature than you are today, that's okay. We need to be, we need to, I don't know, in America we're competitive. We're, I remember when I first got saved, how long you been saved? That was always a question. How long you been saved? Well, I've been saved three years. <laughs> I've been saved four. <laughs> yeah, like big deal. Neither one of them know what you're doing, but uh, because I've been saved six. So there's that competitive thing, but Paul just says there's a natural progression in spiritual things, and that's okay. Um, now, we also need to lay hold of the high positions and those victories available to us in each level of maturity. So we look at dear children. What does he say to dear children? He says two remarkable, significant things. He says in verse 12, your sins have been forgiven. The Passion Translation actually puts it this way. Your sins have been permanently removed. And then in verse 14 to dear children, he says, you have a relationship with the Father. And that's awesome. Even a young child can have a relationship with God. He doesn't just have a relationship with his parents alone, but he can literally know God. That's amazing. As a young, young child. Matter of fact, they may know him better than we do. Unless you come as a little child, Jesus said. And Jesus also said, suffer the little children to come unto me. And I don't know if I'll read this verse. I've got it in here. But he actually said how seriously Jesus takes when anyone puts a stumbling block to their faith before a little child. I don't think we understand what Jesus feels. He actually said it would be better if a millstone were tied around your neck and you'd be cast into the ocean. That's a pretty serious thing from Jesus if you offend or harm intentionally, I think, is what he was the idea, the faith of a, of a child. So then we go from dear children, we see fathers and mothers. Verse 13 and 14, it says the same thing twice for fathers and mothers. You have a true relationship with the eternal one, the one from the beginning. And so this would tell me the most significant thing to remember as we grow older in our faith is that our relationship is true and it really is with the God who has ever and always existed, the one from the beginning. And then it says to the young people, and this is amazing, it tells the young people, those in the middle, you, it actually says, you have defeated the evil one. Verse 13, verse 14, you are strong, which the implication is your faith is strong. And a lot of young people don't believe they have strong faith. Listen, if you're a young child or if you're a young person and you know Jesus, according to what the apostle Paul, uh, apostle John said here, 
You have defeated the evil one. You stand in a place of victory and you are strong. Your faith can be strong. You don't have to assume that because you're 12 or 14 or 18 or 22 that your faith is weak when it can be strong because we have had something imparted into us way beyond what we've experienced or even understood. And that's true. And then it says this, and this may be the key. Verse 14 for young people. The word of God is treasured in your hearts. Treasured in your hearts. There's been such a onslaught against the Bible. and But at the end of the day, the Bible is completely chock full of treasure, of ideas, of facts, of truths of wisdom, that if we will treasure them, they will speak to us. They will open up to us things that are not opened up to other people who have not treasured the word. I, and, and treasure the word, you know, I had a completely out of his mind, drunk, marine alcoholic street guy say to me one day, he said, I believe... Every word in the word of God from lid to lid. He, I don't know. He said lid to lid. I guess that meant from the back cover to the front cover. But that's not the point. What you believe about it. Well, it may be the point. It's a point. But the idea is, have you treasured specific ideas, concepts, truths to the degree that they have actually been integrated into your thought process, your belief system, and your nature. People must be thinking. <laughs> so we got an amen to the thinking. <laughs> wow, <laughs> something about that just doesn't seem right. <laughs> okay. Page one, five to go. But it'd be quick. John reminded the early churches. That's what John was doing. We need to be reminded today as well. We need to be reminded of what we already have and who we really are. Who we really are. At some point, I want to get into the truth of Galatians 2.20. I'm not going to do it today because it's a different topic. But the reality is this. Paul said, not because he was a spiritual superstar, but because he was a basic Christian. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but what? Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And see, there's, there's some confusion about some very essential Christian concepts. And one of them is God did not come, Jesus did not die to improve you. He died to replace you. Jesus himself, see, there's this truth in the gospel that we have access to a life source other than the broken one we have tried to live by, which is directly connected to the knowledge of good and evil and the law and pleasing God through our efforts. But Paul would say, and other gospel writers would talk about this, that we can live by another life source. 
Some of our struggles are because we're struggling instead of resting. We'll talk about that in a minute. Jesus himself said, now this was the most amazing thing. Jesus himself said, I of myself can do nothing. See, he came and demonstrated what it was for a man to live in connection with and being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's a vital, vital truth that we need to understand. But we have been urged in a number of different places not to, to forget. I want us to look at Psalm 103. I think I put this one on the list. Is Psalm 103 coming up there? One through five. Listen to this. And this was a song they sang. I remember words from this song because we've sung them before. There's something powerful about what we sing. It can actually um, affect us in ways that just reading something once or thinking about something or listening to something once, it does more than that. But the psalmist wrote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Let's read two together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. We talk about that here in a minute. But the emphasis here is on what? Not forgetting. Forgetting what? Verse 3, benefits. Don't forget all God's benefits. His acts, um, the functions of his goodwill, or aspects of the inheritance that we can have. In other places, benefits is translated what we deserve. How about bless the Lord, Lord, my soul, and forget not all of these benefits which we richly deserve. Now, a little tricky business here. We don't deserve the blessings of God based on our ability to earn them, but we do deserve them when you understand that Jesus bought and paid for them. It actually says in Isaiah 53, it says of Jesus, he shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. I think that's in verse 4, verse 5. What does that mean? It means there's a point when what he gave us, the capacity to live well, the capacity to actually demonstrate the realities of another realm in goodness and kindness and mercy and power. It says he shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. That means the point will come where we are so moving and enjoying or a people are so moving and enjoying what God has provided for them that Jesus will be satisfied with what it was he actually suffered so that those benefits can um, can be enjoyed by the people he did it for. Man, that's a mouthful. I wish I could say it again. That wasn't in the notes there, so. We, we, in a, we, we don't deserve based on our own righteousness. But we do deserve based on his righteousness, on what he's done. So we need to remember 
what we have. Let's, let's do a little review based on 1 John 2, through 12, uh, 2, 12 through 14. Sins permanently removed. Say that with me. Sins permanently removed. A true relationship with the eternal one. A true relationship with the eternal one. That we have defeated the evil one. That we have a strong faith. That the word of God is treasured in our hearts. We also need to remind ourselves of these benefits we saw in Psalm 103. And here's the idea. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, which did not actually work because it broke down on the human side. There's some covenant theology here I'd like to talk about. I don't have time. Under the covenant that was old, that had to be replaced by one that worked called the New Covenant. The Bible calls the uh, New Testament, it's the New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant that did not work, they could still find their sins and iniquities forgiven, their diseases healed, and that their lives could be redeemed from destruction, and that they had been crowned or encircled with loving kindness and tender mercy, and that God had filled their mouth with good things, which means he had poured into them. He had satisfied their soul. He had saturated their entire personality so that their youth could be renewed. And so those promises, as great as they are, are actually superseded and gone beyond because we have a new covenant. So when we see what they got on, under the old, it's not near as bountiful as what we have under the new because it wasn't as good a covenant. Sin's forgiven. I like that. Disease is healed. You know, I, I talk about people getting healed. I'd like to see it happen more. How about you? But it is part of what God says as part of our promise. So we, and if we don't at least have a vision for that, if we don't at least see that when, when, when even under the old covenant provision was made for iniquities, and iniquities aren't minor, we say sin is sin. Yeah, I know sin is sin, but stealing a pencil is a little bit different from being a mass murderer. Pencil, sin, mass murderer, iniquity. Right? We say all these really smart-sounding things, but at the end of the day, they don't really, they're not that smart. No. Iniquity. What is, I mean, even the word makes me feel like something terrible's happened. Iniquity. It's, it's the depth of sinfulness. He forgives that permanently. That's what it, you have to access that by faith. We're talking about provisions and some of these things quite frankly, aren't automatic. How many of you know that? You have something to do with benefiting from these things. So, why do we need to be reminded? Because we easily forget. That seems redundant, but it's true. We forget. And when we forget, we can lose the quality of life. We can actually lose the practical, functional, experiential benefits that Jesus suffered for so that we might enjoy them. I remember this remarkable verse, 2 Timothy 1, 6, and 7. 
Paul says to Timothy, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. See, one of the, uh, it says in Hebrews, one of the cardinal or practical or important doctrines of the New Testament is the laying on of hands. But what this is telling me is someone with authority or someone even in an instantaneous situation because the Spirit of God is saying, this is what I want to do, can lay hands on another person, pray for them, or speak to them, or impart to them a gift that they did not have before they were prayed for. And that's what Paul is saying. But here's what he was also saying. I I wanted to lay the groundwork for the fact that that can actually happen. But what Paul was saying was to stir that up. You can have dormant spiritual abilities, and and you have them for the sake of other people. That's one of the things um, I think we forget. Spiritual gifts aren't to make people superstars. They're for the benefit of the church and the world. It's to help somebody. Um, So Paul said, stir that up. The thing that you receive, stir that up. That songwriting gift or ability, stir that up. That musical ability, stir that up. That creative ability, stir it up. Blow on it. Do something that helps energize it. Pay attention to it. Don't ignore it. It's a valuable thing. It will actually touch the lives of people. I so enjoy the music that that has poured through people in this place. It's touched the world. It's encouraged the world. Don't give that up. Stir it up. Pay attention to it. Looking back at young people, it says your sins are forgiven. And I know some people struggle with their sins being forgiven. One reason, and I mentioned this last week, and I went into a little bit more detail. So if you want to, not last week, Stephen was here, but the week before the last time I spoke, I go into this in a little bit more detail, but I do want to touch on it because it's really important. One reason we can struggle with our sins being forgiven is because we have an accuser who accuses us day and night before God. And I covered this last week. Um, What does that practically mean? Because that almost doesn't make sense to us. But let let me say this. What is going on in our nation to tear our nation in half? Constant, constant, constant accusation from the left to the right and the right to the left. That's an attribute of the devil. And, and if it doesn't stop, it's not going to end well. We, we really need to pray for people in our government on both sides of the aisle to have moral authority, godly character. We do. It's It's important. We should pray way more than we join the accusation. If you're joining the accusation, do you understand whose side you're actually on? And it's not left or right. Do you understand that? When you participate in those, you actually demonstrate more the character of the devil than the righteousness of God. 
It's just that simple. The righteousness of God manifests this way when it comes to our government. We pray, we bless. That's according to the New Testament. But we don't accuse. Doesn't mean we don't doesn't mean you don't tell the truth about things, but this relentless um, accusation is exactly the tool the devil uses against us to um, lock our joy down, to lock our faith down. There are people in this room today that aren't even sure if their faith is vital. I know that. I know that. I can have conversations. I can talk to people or I can watch or I don't even have to. I know the human condition. There are people that doubt their faith all the time. But there's a point where God wants to break off of you, break it off of you, snap you out of it, destroy that fog you're in, which is this relentless downward spiral of doubt, unbelief, and confusion. All the writers of the New Testament basically say, I have written this so that you can believe. I have written this so you can excel. I have written this so you can be free. But John also speaks to this condition in 1 John 3, 20 through 22. And it's like an overly sensitive conscience. You know, when John, John in 1 John, he goes into this thing about how many of you here when we talked about confess your sins to one another and be free? Any of you here? Nobody volunteering to have been here? Yeah, wow. Where were the rest of you? That was a great message. No. I do not believe the Bible wants to make us sin conscious. I don't believe the Bible wants to always make us worried about our behavior. I believe what God wants to do is make us God conscious, aware of the presence of God. We don't need to focus on sin all the time. Because what it can do, it can, it can really drive us down. So 1 John 3 says, Whenever our hearts make us feel guilty and remind us of our failures, we know that God is much greater and more merciful than our conscience. And he knows everything there is to know about us. My delightfully loved friends, when our hearts don't condemn us, we have a bold freedom to speak face-to-face with God, and then this powerful promise. And whatever we ask of him, we receive because we keep his commands, and by our beautiful intentions, we continue to do what brings pleasure to him. So there's overactive conscience. Don't don't become, uh, just don't become sin conscious. A friend of mine used to say, a pastor, Harry Bazell, used to say that, um, self-centeredness is the landing pad for oppression, demonic oppression or spiritual oppression. In other words, if all you do is think about yourself, that's not a good thing. Um, well, I had been through times of dread. I mentioned that. And there was a specific verse that released me from some of these very things I'm talking about. And this verse will also give us insight into the mechanics of our new life in Christ. And Paul's language, especially the verb tenses he uses, will give us this valuable insight into what God in Christ has done for us. So let's, let's look at Romans 3, 21 through 26. Let's read that together. But now, let's start over together. Uh, let's... We're going to do it on the count of three. One, two, 
3. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Who is it to? All. And who is it on? All who believe. For there is no difference. And fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verses 23 and 24 are mind-boggling. I'm going to preach what they say, and it's going to sound false because it's going to sound too good to be true. But it is true. It is true. Say it with me. It is true. Pay attention, me. It is true. Okay, first of all, when I had that sense of dread, do you know you're going to go through things that aren't about you at all and they're not going to be good maybe sometimes, but it's for somebody else? Do you realize that really does happen? Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't realize, you, you know, it's hard sometimes to identify when we're in a mess, what mess we're in. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Let me say that again. It's hard to identify sometimes when we're in a mess, what mess we're in. We don't know cause and effect sometimes. Some things are just part of your personality. I don't know, but some things are spiritual. They have some spiritual roots. And my sense of condemnation or my sense of dread or my sense of sort of this guilt was actually the result of not understanding some very vital spiritual truths. And one of them, I discovered freedom by reading Romans 321. But now the righteousness of who? God, apart from what? The law is revealed. And who is it to? All, verse 22, and on all who believe. And what I didn't recognize was a lot of my internal struggle was because I was trying to be righteous. I was trying to please God through my own internal effort. But I didn't even know that's what I was doing. But I once read that verse, it's like a light came on. Whoa, my righteousness is apart from the law. It's not related to my behavior. Isn't that a great thing? That's a great thing and a scary thing. Your righteousness given to you from God is not connected to your behavior. You didn't get that righteousness because you behaved. You didn't get that righteousness because you didn't misbehave. It's a free gift. It was given to you. It's in essence an alien. What's, what's an alien? An alien is a person from another place. It's an alien righteousness. It's apart from us that comes as a gift to who? People with simple faith in Jesus. 
Not even profound or complex faith in Jesus. Simple faith in Jesus. And when you see that, although it's not related, I don't receive it based on my behavior. When I do receive it, it affects my behavior. It suddenly liberates me to be who I am because early in that, I was not liberated because I was trying to prove what I was instead of be what I am. I was trying to earn a place in God through how I thought or what I didn't think or what I said or whether I held my Bible in my right hand or if my underwear was on backwards or not. Some weird, listen, you think that's weird. I know, weird. I didn't do that, but a friend of mine did. Anyway. But receiving righteousness that way frees me to live righteously. The key is to simply believe or to rest in the truth and trust that God has made me righteous. Now listen to this. Because what God demands, God provides. What God demands, God provides. He demanded righteousness. And we were stupid enough to think we could be righteous. And when we failed, and a lot of times breakthrough comes as direct result of having failed and tried and pushed and given up and then being enlightened. Oh, he did it for me. That's as much faith as laying hands on some people. What I just did is as much faith. Oh, because it's the faith we call trust. The writer of the Hebrews said, you've got one thing you need to do, labor to enter into that rest. Because in that rest is energy and capacity. And the key is just simple, simple faith. But that's an awesome thing. Arthur Burt used to say years ago, what God demands, God provides. Whatever we don't believe we already have, we try to earn it. And earning something free negates its benefit of what you have been freely given. We can only enjoy all of God and what he has given to us if we receive it as a free gift. The basis, the foundation, the source of peace and joy is apart from obeying rules and regulations to become righteous. You cannot earn a free gift. You simply receive it. And when you know you receive it, you're simply grateful for it. The power of thanksgiving. And there's a great example of the thief on the cross. I'm not going to read all this, but all the, the two other thieves on the cross at one point were haranguing Jesus. And then one of them, I don't know, had some insight. And he starts rebuking the other thief. So you've got Jesus and two thieves. Isn't that amazing? The human condition. You're being crucified and you're still fighting. Still arguing. Still finding fault with each other. Finding fault with the faultless one. I mean, isn't that a picture of humanity? Man, is that how far we have to go to get free of that thing? Yes, you have to be crucified with Christ. 
No, you don't have to be. It's better than that. You were. You were. You were. It's finished. Oh, gosh. So the thief on the cross, he's a criminal. He actually says to the other, he rebukes the other thief and he says, do you not even fear God seeing you're under the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. That's amazing. Jesus can actually save people on the cross. And that, that's wow. So, so he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was his confession of faith. That's how little you have to have. He just said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Simple confession of faith. Now, I need to cover one other thing. It's so important. I want to go back to Romans 3. Is Romans 3 up on the screen there? And this is vital. This is a vital understanding, and it can revolutionize your life. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned. Let me do this. So, um, Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it doesn't stop there. That's not the end of the thought. Then it continues, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And we need to look at the verb tenses because they're so important. You know, um, verb tenses misunderstood, particularly in the spiritual sense, can do you a lot of harm. Verse 23, from a verb tense standpoint, says this, For all have sinned and are presently continually falling short of the glory of God. Here's the bad news. You've sinned, and here's your current condition. Presently, falling short of the glory of God, but it's worse than that. Continually. Presently and continually, because you've sinned, you're falling short of the glory of God. But the sentence doesn't stop there because there's something else that's happening at the same time. At the same time, we are being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, while you are presently, continually falling short of the glory of God, at the same time, 
You are being passive, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So while we're presently and continually falling short, we are being justified freely by something the Lord has done for us. Now, this is, this is, this is important. We are presently passively being justified freely. Freely means without a cause. Presently means, passive tense means it's happening to us. I was being harassed. When you have the word being, it means it's passive. You weren't harassing. You were being, you were the subject of harassment. Well, when we are presently being justified freely, being justified is a passive verb. It's telling us that this justification is happening to us. So we are presently, it's happening to us. Um, presently, it's happening now. Passively, it's happening to us. And it is happening to us as a free gift that has nothing to do with, with um, our effort. It's like, what would be a present passive experience? Getting a suntan. That's how you get justified. <laughs> While you're presently continually falling short of the glory of God, you're presently continually passively and freely being justified. You getting like a Holy Ghost suntan. God is cascading down upon you while you are a miserable human being, a present, continual, passive justification because of the work Christ Jesus did before we were ever born to sin. And that's called good news. It's like a ready line checking account. You take out because you're an idiot. God puts in because he's good. You take out, he puts in. You take out, he puts in. Until you're so in love with him, you don't take out as much. He just flows on through. Because you can't sin so grace will abound. So what's the conclusion? Uh, it's deep. Here's a conclusion. God loves us so much. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, now he has reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, here's what that ministry looks like. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them or not holding them accountable for their sins and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 
Amen, amen. Let me pray. Why don't we stand together? Father, I just pray for us that we receive not the grace of God in vain. I pray that we receive the grace of God in the way that transforms us. Father, I pray that we can not only act in faith, but we can trust you. We can rest in you and what you've done in your provision. And Lord, I pray that you would grant us the grace just to simply trust you with our lives. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with us, that you are more than with us. You're the Emmanuel aspect of Christ Jesus. You live in us. We, we just ask that you be liberated in us to manifest uh, your fruit, your goodness, your kindness, your gentleness, your mercy. All those things that you are, that you want to demonstrate through us. And thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God our Father, for the person of your Son, the mystery of the gospel of what he did on the cross. And Holy Ghost, just help us, help us. And we receive your help. We don't struggle. We believe. We yield. And we're grateful. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.